Hi, Jeremy. Hello, Raphael. You are not at home. I'm not. I'm in uh, Regina, Saskatchewan. And that's in Canada? Yep. It's in uh, the province of Saskatchewan. The town I'm in is Regina. Is that an indigenous Native American name? Regina? No, uh, Saskatchewan, or what was it? Oh, Saskatch- Saskatchewan? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's one, I think it's one of the uh, First Nations kind of names for the place. I, I don't yeah. know. I, haven't, I actually don't have the research in front of me, but I assume. Um, yeah, it doesn't sound very British or French. No, but Regina definitely does. Yeah. I think Regina is like, was a queen or something. Can you describe your environment? Um, well, it's a small Canadian city, which means there's like a lot no, of... No, no, con- like your room and the... Oh, I'm in, a, ra- I'm in a Ramada uh, hotel. In front of me, there is a box that says Pizza Hotline, <laughs> call 7210. <laughs> I can also get started with Saskatel Max TV. And there's some bad art on the wall of a spiral staircase that looks like it's actually from Hitchcock's Vertigo. Cause it's got a red circle in the middle. Um and there's some hideous kind of like textured wallpaper below that <laughs> mm. and do you have a view um, it would have oh out the window if i look to my right yeah i have a view of like sort of a you know typical kind of concrete office building you know like 1980s 70s era mm-hmm. um, you know kind of like that yeah those buildings with a lot of soul yeah, like the ones that they would put in office space. Like as I was coming into the hotel, uh, there were like two guys like carting like old uh, photocopy machines, you know, into like a recycling truck or something. It was like uh, <laughs> that's that kind of vibe of that office space vibe. That kind of like small town business vibe. Yeah. Not that small towns have different kind of business, but like the intensity is like lower, like it's kind of quiet. Um, it's like, I don't know, there's just like not that many people around when did you arrive <laughs> um it's beautiful though um i arrived uh yesterday so okay. at like six in the morning <laughs> and, it, it, and it, i'm interested because when you arrive yeah, in a well, small town and and yeah. your new environment and this kind of nondescript do you have a ritual of like oh i gotta make a list of places where i could have breakfast and where i can have lunch and or mm. meet with people or uh yeah, Did that's the thing. I don't Did know you? that many people here, and I know like one or two people, and the people at the gallery pretty much who I know, and then yeah, uh, none of the other artists were invited to the show because I'm performing, so there was only budget for me. Uh, so it's yeah, I'm just like kind of floating around. Everyone's really nice. It's like it's very much like a, a very because we're in the Midwest of Canada. It's very friendly. Everyone. It's like nice. the is is it the vibe is close to the vibe in uh, Midwest of the U.S. Yeah, yeah, like very similar kind of fun, uh, happy vibe. Yeah, like in installing the show, there's like it's there's tons of artists in the work and a lot of complicated work, but like no one was stressed. And like you know, if it was Germany, there'd be like people would be like pulling their hair out. Oh my God, the VR is not working. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're just like, yeah, maybe if we uh, plug this other thing in. Anyway, so very it's, low. It's key. funny because maybe this is a segue into the topic that the same situation you can approach calmly and <laughs> put just as much problem-solving energy and thinking yeah, into it yeah. or you could act like a maniac yeah well so we did get a topic suggestion for this week uh, which came courtesy of um, a listener who I was actually in a show with um, a while back named Sydney and she said she'd like to she wanted to suggest the topic of addiction uh, or the myth of the drug and alcohol fueled artist 
Um, she thinks uh, that as a sober person who used to really buy into the idea of quote unquote the fucked up artists, she wanted to hear our thoughts on the topic. And you know, so I, I when I read that, I was like, it's so funny to ask two men who like you know for a long time I I didn't drink at all, not because I was sober, but just because I didn't enjoy it. I know you you live a kind of dry lifestyle as well. And I haven't done drugs since I was a teenager. So, mm. so, so as like as far as like the drug fueled yeah, alcohol fueled artist goes, the the first thing that came to mind with this question is um, there is no single model for art, and unless you do research and uh, you look at the statistics of the top five hundred artists and then look at their drug habits and maybe you see a pattern, but overall there's really something for everyone. So some people like to follow crazy people and some people like to follow really calm people and uh, it, it's the same with music like not every musician is a junkie but there are quite a few and uh, yeah well first of, yeah i think like the first thing i'd like so, uh, uh, is maybe, maybe what i'm trying to say is that when you're young don't don't try to think like oh i have to follow this recipe sure sure but i think the first thing that we need to state is like you know, you used a bunch of terms like crazy and junky and like, but all of these terms are wrapped up in sort of these romantic narratives that actually perpetuate negative stereotypes and and the fact that they, those negative stereotypes are associated, and, and we're talking about mental health here, right? So it's like actually a real um, medical problem for a lot of people. And to have that associated with, um, to romanticize it as like creative uh, like a creative uh, like energy uh, or something that you have to do to be creative, I think is really dangerous. Um, and I've always found yeah. it really weird and uh, alienating personally as an artist. Cause yeah, like, but but and really, the, I, I would just say to any young artist, like there's room for every model. So if you think, you, let's say that you're a person who's like, I don't want to live long. I want to have the most intense life and I want to be on psychedelics and eat bacon all day and die when I'm 30. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a model that fits that. And if you're like, I want to be jogging till I'm 120 years old, there, there's a model for that. So Sure, I, sure. Yeah. There's no judgment here. I mean, but what, you know, what I will say is that like, if we go back to that romantic myth, um, you know, you have your alcoholics, your, you know, we even talked about, you know, your womanizing, like there's all kinds of n- the negative characteristics get associated with the artist quite often as like, somehow correlated with genius. Which yeah, I think yeah, is but re- when you say quite often, I, I cringe a little bit because there's no uh, measurement. Okay, yeah, yeah. So one measurement would be, though, like if you look back at, at history and maybe there are just certain names, like, I, I uh, you know, like, um, you know, I think probably we mentioned Pollock previously or... Yeah, but that's, that's one person. Like no, but, Mr. Fuller, was he an alcohol? I don't know. You know but I, th- I think one, well, where, where mental health is concerned, one that was interesting for me was in when I was in Norway last year, you know, Edward Munch uh, was held up in such high esteem. And there's this really funny anecdote I just have to tell, which is that they are going to be, op- while I was there, they are opening a bar in central Oslo. And this bar was going to be Edward Munch themed. And all of the bartenders were going to play characters with different mental health problems and the one of the artists in my residency was telling me that they're going to be one of these bartenders and i i stopped them dead in their tracks and i said look i'm i'm worried about you your career if this gets out into the war, out, art world you know that you're set, you're making fun of people with mental health and addiction problems at a bar no less this is going to be terrible and she's like what are you talking about this is oslo this is how it is people just want to have a laugh and i was like no no 
<laughs> I don't know where you're coming from. And and then the bar opened and and people went and there was no controversy. And I was like, I am really in a different place here. And uh, yeah, you're what, basically you know, an American. <laughs> I'm an American. You mean? Yeah, basically you're acting like an American. Yeah. I am. I'm like judging Europeans for. You, you you think that you have to check all the boxes of uh, uh, wh- to make sure you ne- you never step on anyone's toes. Well, that she would be method acting a mental health thing was just it was weird to sell alcohol right on top of everything else. <laughs> I don't know. I, I still find it like one of the most dizzyingly terrible ideas that somehow wasn't. Um, and, but yeah. anyway, the you I know mean, the, the the main thing was is the myth of Edward Monk is tied to. His genius is tied to his mental yeah, health problems. But maybe maybe you could argue that if you want an artist to be a sensitive entity that then transforms perception, mm-hmm. uh, you don't want that person to have the most bland, normal life. <clears throat> that's a good point. Or so that's the, that's the it's perception. almost like if, if you were making artists in a lab, and the, like mm-hmm. like lab rats, and you're like, okay, let's take a few rats and just give them uh, healthy food, and then a few we're just gonna give them every psychoactive uh, chemical that exists, and let's yeah. see what kind of art they make. Yeah, no, there's an artist that I'm I, I'm dying because I can't remember their names. Maybe you'll remember it on tip of my tongue. And and what he did is he took different drugs and did a self portrait on on all of these different drugs, and he did like. 10 or 20 different drugs and then you saw you know the self-portrait styles were all completely different now whether he was like yeah i can't imagine he was completely unconscious but the idea being that the drug created the work or the creative you know the energy behind yeah. the work, not not, not the, it's not it's the a bit like there's a lot of art made by um, people who live in a mental institution and you can actually mm-hmm. collect that and follow that and it's a genre um and there's something about the the lack of in, inhibition that creates a very free form of drawing, you mm-hmm. can imagine, kind of. But it's also, it, if you see a lot of it, it becomes very similar, so it also becomes predictable uh, mm-hmm. in that sense. So um, I, I think it's a fine line between... I'm very interested in artists who are, are hyper-individual and who find their own way of living. Mm-hmm. Um, and that could be someone who is extremely sober or an extreme athlete or someone who is uh, lives in a bunker or who knows what, but any form of right. uh, staying away from normal life, whatever that but this, means. I, I, I'm going to contest this because, you know, like this, I, again, you're, you know, I'm not going to judge that this exists, but I would say the... The, the, that it's a minority of artists who are the, are recluse or have an addiction problem. And, and a great majority of people are quite you know they're not they're not more or less well adjusted but they're well, not it's this is not the, the let's central do a, let's theme do a test let's do mm-hmm. a test name 10 interesting artists as quickly as you can mm-hmm. like what just off the top of my head yeah anyone? visual artists just name uh, some people you admire <laughs> I, no, you name. I hate it when you okay. give me a test. Well, like I'll, this. I'll, I'll do. I'll do. I'll just some things that come to mind, and I'll I'll name lots of, lots of women. Then I'll be you. held accountable. But let's say <laughs> Barbara Kruger, Jenny Holzer, Agnes Martin, um, Yayoi Kusama, and then Rembrandt, and maybe Van Gogh, and then okay. Peter Halley and Mondrian, and so there's maybe two mental cases in there. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't you, think you, there's a lot of drug addicts. So, you know what I mean? Like, you can say, oh, yeah. No, I mean, but the point I'm trying to make is the but vast it, majority of artists that I've met in my career, just as a professional, 
have been at the biggest problem they have in terms of addiction is addiction usually to work. They're you know very very uh, focused on their craft um, and they're not making art because they have no way to express uh, like a deep seated emotional issue or like you know or because they the world doesn't understand them it's because they're researchers and they're trying to explore the unknown um and i think that for me anyway that's like much closer to a romantic myth i wish existed which was the artist as kind of like researcher research researcher of like the human emotion if you will at times but also like you know of all kinds of things you know a friend of mine uh you know who i've mentioned on the podcast first Sterling crispin he just got hired as app a scientist at apple which i think is really interesting given he was an artist or he is an artist and i've also been in in roles like that where i'm considered like i i just think the artist is actually more of an academic than this idea of yeah, that, um, that that kind of proves my point there's something for everyone because i know that a lot of collectors from what i've heard is um, they might have made all their money in finance and then they party every now and then but mostly they work mm-hmm. and then it's interesting for them to collect and be part of a subversive subculture and so they'll like a painting and then ask the gallerist ooh does the painter do drugs and that adds to the story yeah that's uh, why but, I, I but think all I'm, all I'm rub- saying is like if, yeah. if it's not drugs it could be like no but uh, he he has uh, twelve wives or whatever the the quirk is. Yeah, yeah, but that's why you're making yeah. a really good point that gets under my skin, which is that like the collectors and you know potentially like this kind yeah, of yeah, but that's wh- the same with myth. music. Like, but it's it, like the it's also a myth of the bourgeoisie, like that some like, yeah, that there is it, this, it, this, it, like I remember when Fifty Cent came up and everybody was like, oh, he got shot nine times and he has a scar on his face from a bullet and like uh-huh. that makes the music and and if you listen to black metal, all the all the aura around the church burnings and the murders that changes the perception of the music. Mm. Yeah. It reminds me of the movie get out though, where like sort of they fetishize, um, people of color as like, you know, the, uh, like almost like a fashionable, uh, like, like an accessory, ca- an accessory. I don't know if you've seen the film. Yeah. They, I just you know, saw, occup- I saw it last week. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like handbag, you know, black athlete, like all of these things end up in, um, uh, potentially like a, a curiosity cabinet but we, for we rich talked, people. We talked before about, marketing and and myth and that it's really hard for people to just uh, perceive the work completely free of outside information and completely free of metadata. But the argument I'm making is it's a way for a certain power class to hold uh, down the like uh, you know the the artist class in a way. But it's it's, it's it's not a class thing. I'm just saying it's the same in popular culture with athletes and with uh, Yeah, yeah. uh, But they're part of culture. That's culture. Culture like this is the thing. I think the the broader narrative is generally speaking, culture workers, which includes artists, yeah. are held back by stereotypes that those who pay artists need to enforce in order for their for them to exist because they need a middleman or they need a but, or middle person and you know it, yeah there's and a now margin I'm, in that. Now I'm going to argue against what I said before, and then if you look back at grunge music. Uh, there's all kinds of bands and then for me Nirvana stands out there's a few mm-hmm. others that are interesting but Nirvana definitely stands out and maybe there's something in the voice of Kurt Cobain and uh, his drug addiction and his uh, stomach ulcer problems that you could really hear the guttural sound and the it makes it more intense so it, 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 it creates problem? more interesting yeah, supposedly that's why he was on heroin because he had su- and it was also from screaming so much. So you 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 do this thing where you give up everything for the work. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. The extreme sacrifice. Yeah. Maybe you just had a lactose intolerance, though. <laughs> yeah, it was all about the gluten. Yeah, but but it, it, and it, that's the same. I don't remember who said that, but this expectation that we expect top CEOs to also be good with their family and spend a lot of time with their kids, and you can't run Amazon and then spend a lot of time with your kids. I mean, you're right, though. But this myth also existed in business, right? If you look, especially in the advertising industry, which I come from, where it was viewed as this high stress, high impact life, where you had to drink and do drugs in the evening and that was like part of fueling your creative spirit in advertising so it does actually transcend culture into the cultural kind of business sector yeah and it's in silicon valley this sort of optimizing minimizing life and just becoming a machine almost well what's interesting there is you know we've talked about this previously on the podcast is um myths around like vc culture being really drug and alcohol addled because money where there's money there's people that have money to spend on on, on you know parties and and strippers and drugs and whatever vices uh, whatever you know salacious vices you want to bring up yeah um, and this is like a popular myth of and it's interesting because it contradicts what I just said right which is that like this is a myth of the those in power and this is also but a how myth much of, is it a myth in- if it's um, let, let's say not the use of drugs in in Silicon Valley but work addiction and mm-hmm. that if, if you just have two companies and at one company they're all about work-life balance and yeah. the other company is do or die and they're both making the same product and then who's going to dominate and who's going to well, crush the other one? It's quite interesting because in our company right now, like I'm advertising some roles for hiring and I'm saying like work-life balance is really important. But we are having like a leadership meeting the other day and everyone's like, no, it's got to be about results and accountability. And, and someone brought up, but like, what about work-life balance? Like, no one cares about that. <laughs> Yeah, but it's, uh, it's, it's like especially with software, it's an existential threat of, let's say you're starting a social network, it, there's not mm-hmm. room for multiple, it's everyone wants to be on one or on the other. Yeah, I'm reading this Netflix book called Powerful, uh, it's a management book actually, and really what they talk about is that like, and this, this is especially true in the early internet, I'm not sure how true it is now, it's one of the great, it's it's really one of the great narratives of tech, the tech sector, which is that the technology is moving so quickly that whoever was on top today, um, whatever you decided, you know, in your one year plan is out of date by, you know, the second quarter, by, you know, six months into the year. And so you got to keep moving. You got to be nimble. You got to change yeah. course. But actually, if you were to look at like um, this week, uh, the, you know, there's this, this, this kind of trend report that comes out in the technology sector. Um, it's quite uh, like just a macro trends report. And, you know, for example, cell phone, uh, smartphone growth is completely flat uh, right now. Yeah, which makes and sense because they're good enough. Yeah, yeah. So and like the new technical horizon, technology horizons, which is like AR and VR that everyone's pouring money into those those growth patterns are like still way, you know, they're still le- way, way, way early adopter kind of earlier early on in the curve and and they might never actually get yeah exactly i think they're uh, lower than expect people expected it to be bigger by now so we have this idea i think because we've you know lived our adult lives since 1998 with the birth of the internet and the internet really disrupt internet and mobile phones two technologies that we just assume would have you know are going to be replaced by the next new technology but honestly it might turn out to be a coincidence that these two technologies arrived at the same time and it might just be like the automobile in 1900, and there's 100 years of flat growth in automobiles, right? Um, yeah, but when it comes anyway, to art, it's, it's a different thing. Uh, it, I, I often worry that I'm too lazy. Like, 
it, I was thinking about how we approach this podcast, and it's very casual, and we're not pushing it, and we're just letting it do whatever it does. There we um, so we're just dust in the wind. It's just a kind of lazy approach, and that's the way I do a lot of my work. I just make it, and I don't. Um, but if I you prepared my whole life for this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but a lot of art history, there's there's uh, a lot of adversarial moments where it was really like CEOs uh, bullying each yeah. other. Or it would be Leonardo versus uh, uh, Michelangelo, or things like that, where they were both fighting for the same commissions from the same court. I mean, is that in my... Okay, there's some children running in the hallway here. Just yeah, what can you do? <laughs> they're, have, they're having the time of lives. Maybe they're on drugs. Um, so, no, but I think, like, the 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 thing that's uh, odd about that is that's only true for a very small minority of, of, of artists. That's not really true for the vast majority of artists who are just trying to make a living or, you know, do it as a side hustle. Because but I don't think... I, I think anyone who goes into art, and you're not shooting for... I want to make seven fifty an hour. Yeah, like, I want to change art history. You don't start art be- for practical reasons to have a safe income. Yeah, most artists I know though pretty much lose money on their art career, or and I know that the average um, income from you know I, I know, but I'm, I'm talking more about the 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 motivation, the idea that you have to be frantic and maniacal. Oh right, 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 right. Yeah, I mean because it's not a, a job at Kinkos, you know, it's not like oh just get it done. But I'm here's the argument I'm making is that it most from most of my career it has been like a job at Kinkos and um, it's not that and that doesn't mean that I I'm I'm not investing emotion in it I actually invest a lot of emotion I know lots of artists who do no but what I mean is if you do a job to pay the rent then there's tons of better more efficient options than making art especially uh, when you're young and media art you're not you're probably not going to make money. So you're doing it for other reasons. And what I'm talking about is that the, this idea, like, should I be a crazy, drug-fueled, maniacal person, doesn't come from just making the rent. That comes from the the, uh, the dream of being legendary, not of just mm-hmm. making a living. Yeah, I mean, my contention would be that yeah, there I'm are just, lots I'm of... just looking at the starting point of this podcast, which is like, do you... Yeah, this yeah, yeah. myth of the drug-fueled artist, and that's not about, like, making seven fifty an hour. Sure. I mean, I think that there are a lot of people, you know, a, lar- a large number of people that uh, have mental health problems or addictions, and they also lead normal lives. That's all I'm saying. And, and, and frankly, like, there are lots of people without those issues as well who have other problems, and they still lead normal lives. The, the, the issue, the, the, the point I'm trying to make throughout this podcast is that that has little to do, I believe, with the work that gets made. It is a part of some work that gets made. Um, but I think it's mostly a mythology that people, uh, you know, it helps with storytelling, yeah. maybe. There is, um, there is an, it's funny, I'm really contradicting myself, but I've, I've been seeing a lot of movies from the 70s, and I think people were using a lot more drugs back then. Yeah, yeah, they and, definitely were. I mean, you definitely feel that in the movies, you, you, and you can't fake that. You can't fake that with a, a committee that is like, oh, let's make this Marvel movie and let's make it a little naughty and then uh, <laughs> let's let's pull up the naughty le- lever and, and nobody's really crazy in the movies. And then, insert mm-hmm. naughty joke. Okay, here it comes. 
I do think that that's it. you're making a good point, which is in the 1970s, um, like drugs like LSD, for specifically, they came out of the lab, out of the science lab. They were also there were also all these doctors that were administering drugs to like Hollywood celebrities and things. People were experimenting with with drugs as it science. was normal. Yeah, it, well, it was part of like you know human beings 2.0 or something. And it was part of like getting the most performance out of an individual or escaping into other realms. And previously, artists also explored drugs to explore the you know the, the synesthetic you know properties that drugs can bring with them, right? Like so that they could explore the inner reaches of their mind, <laughs> like specifically like abstract expressionists. Yeah, right? but We're not really- only that, I'm I'm also talking about just. Uh, too many people on cocaine on a movie set and you just feel mm. that everybody's pissed off at each other and that that makes a fight in a movie more interesting oh what, uh, what uh, film uh, yeah yeah no but that's uh, definitely something I've seen it's not just the in. ideological sort of trippy yeah. happy thing but just right uh, yeah like Jimi Hendrix couldn't play guitar if he wasn't like uh, uh, with his intensity if he didn't smoke so much weed. Actually, that that seems like a real contradiction. Is that true? <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. He doesn't sound so weedy. But like uh, Bob Marley, I know he had a you know cancer and uh, it really helped him. Uh, like he had the f- this you know this foot thing right that ended up killing him. <laughs> this might be and the it, cringiest episode because it's clear we're not experts. Well, no, I'm just saying that, like, maybe it's painkiller in that case. Anyway, I don't know. I, I mean, I think what we can do is recenter on our own careers. And when I met you, you know, I still, I still think it's quite amusing that you've never had coffee. You know, if we look at the spectrum of addictions and drugs, like a lot of people are addicted to caffeine, uh, and you, you know, you only drink green tea. Now there is some ca- caffeine grade green tea. I hate to to break it to you, but um, I had when I was a young artist. This and I will just share my own experience because I don't. Hopefully, that won't make people cringe, and maybe you'll find some of yourself in this. As my career was progressing, I, you know, and I, and I was traveling, and I felt like I was making progress. I was looking for ways to optimize my performance, and so I was like, okay, I'm only gonna, I'm not gonna drink, especially if I'm gonna perform the next day, because I know I feel kind of gross or I don't feel as good, and I'm not on my game, and I've got to be on my A game all the time. So I'm not gonna drink. I'm definitely not gonna smoke because my voice is like. It's all I've got. It's like part of my performance, and and uh, I'm gonna make sure that I always sleep ten hours, and I'm gonna you know I'm gonna take these uh, vitamins and and eat only these foods, and because I gotta stay in shape, and I don't want to look like a slob on stage. Anyway, I was just like looking at myself as the artwork, right? Which even if you, I wasn't a performance artist, I think I was going to be doing because I, it was all on me, right? I was a business of one. Um, and when you go to openings, but, yeah, people are you're asking kind you of all approaching about yourself. It and, as an athlete, yeah, exactly, exactly like an athlete. And and you talk at you know to your friends, and and it's like, oh yeah, like I had to fly to Istanbul, and then I had to be in London the next day, and then I had to get up in front of five hundred people. And in that life, I actually I got really obsessed with these details, and actually developed an anxiety problem that I still have to this day. And the the only way I was able to minimize it eventually was to stop worrying so much. And actually, I started drinking again. Uh, I started drinking caffeine as well, which I had banned from my my thing. And I, just, and, I, and I actually didn't do it a lot, but I just did it some, sometimes if I felt like it and stopped worrying about whether I was at 100%. Like today, I actually don't feel that good. And I could have just said like, you know, I'm not going to do the podcast because I'm not up to 100%. Like that would have been the old me. But today I'd be like, you know what? It's going to be what it is. Like, you know, I'm, I, mm. can't, I can't control who I am or, or, or how I feel. And it's okay either way and that's like been that's my addiction and mental health kind of story 
Um, but I've met other people that have, you know, similarly, you know, obsessed over the details, trying to get the most performance out of them because they're yeah. being asked to do a lot. And I think that we can all, we're all be well, familiar with that. The, I think that's the, 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 the real, um, it, maybe for our core listeners, I, I would imagine there are more people who are on the verge of work addiction than uh Party well, sometimes dr- it's not even your addiction. choice. You know, yeah. it's not even your choice. It's like you just get you get good at something, and then people want everything from you. Yeah, yeah. But I've I've definitely met more people, uh, artists that I've met that were overworked than the people that were overpartied. Let, let's put it that way. Yes, yes. So that is an excellent point. It's a good point, and it's the it's definitely been true in my lifetime that the that the art is a profession, and most people take it very seriously. And they work really hard at it, and and they're exhausted. <laughs> and that's also that's something I've been stressing a lot, and I, I see with with colleagues is art is not so fun. Like it's not that thing of you have a, a latte and your iPad Pro and you're doodling and just the, the ideas flow out of you, and then money just comes in automatically. Yeah, the it, real it, mental health thing is probably it's there's a lot of creative torture involved. Yeah, in, uh, yeah, in and and that's. It, the the torture gets even more intense when you get more successful. So, uh, you did the Venice Biennial with raving reviews, and then like, well, now what? Every, everybody's going to judge me even more mm-hmm. uh, intensely, and the the pressure's so high. And I, I could see that drugs could then become a problem when you're really tired, and maybe even legal drugs, but with a lot of side effects. So, uh, a pharmaceutical. Uh, uh, psychiatric okay. drugs, you know, the, 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 yep. and and I could, I know this from people who work in advertising that the the work pressure can be so high and there's uh, anxiety and then you have to present in in front of a lot of people and they're like, oh, just take a take a little blue pill or take a little red pill or take a little pink or whatever. Uh, I'm not talking about the Matrix. I'm talking about yes, just yes, just just take something to take the edge off and then. The, the dangerous thing is if everybody is nervous and everybody takes the chemicals to take the edge off, they can increase the pressure and then uh, you're not normal if you're without drugs. That means you're at a disadvantage. So Because if 90% of the people are taking the, uh, the supplements, yep. then you're behind if you're not doing it. Yeah, and so... I and mean, so that creates a, a crazy pressure of like, well, you're doing this career without chemical help? Wow. Yeah, and that's kind of the spec, you know, the speculative um, dystopia that everyone you know projects. Yeah, right? but it, it's 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 crazy once you start talking to people that you realize. It, it, I don't know. I don't know if you see it in your work, but it's it's there's way more people using uh, legal drugs than you think. It's like, oh wow, that person too, and that person too, and that person. Yeah, things that no, seem certainly. pretty pretty innocent, but uh, yeah. there's always side effects. I mean, I think I started to go down that road um, with like sleeping pills. I, I wasn't taking sleeping pills, but I was doing like melatonin. I was one, one step away, you know, I was getting my because of all the jet legs. Yeah, exactly. Because I was like bouncing around, you know, Europe, North America, and I was like, I got to do this. It's what's expected of me. Yeah. Um, and and then uh, you know, thankfully, my career <laughs> petered. Out. <laughs> <laughs> it solved itself. Yeah, <laughs> and here we are on this podcast, this hit podcast. But uh, I can imagine if things had just continued continued to ramp up, um, and you know I do know people that have that are reliant on sleeping pills just because they're they've lost their ability to regulate their sleep patterns. Yeah, and and then um, maybe you start with sleeping pills in your thirties, and then it turns out you have uh, 
blood pressure problem because of sleeping pills, right. and then maybe you have a digestive problem, and, and you know it, it just yeah, goes. Yeah, and maybe you get you get injured, and, and yeah, and, I mean that's that's how that's how people die. Prince died that way. And that's, that's the dystopian. Yeah, but that's the dystopian thing where um, I've, I've never been in that position where the work pressure was that high. But I can imagine if you have a family of three. And it's going well, but all of a sudden it's not going as well. Then it's a very scary position. Yeah, and I mean, of course, I think in music this is like probably more prevalent than art. I think we often assume that this is what people are talking about in relationship to art. And music is an art, but like, it's pretty much just accepted. That Whoa! That's how what it is did in you music. just say? What you said? Music, music is an art. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's right. That's what I said. Okay. <laughs> Musicians are artists. Yeah, they they just happen to, yeah. They often make less money too, like for more work. And uh, anyway, like I think the myth. All I'm saying is, in art, I don't think this myth affects artists as much as it does, um, you know, it does musicians, right? Like, uh, just because I musicians have this touring stigma, like you have to go on tour, and if you get yeah. a tour, you know, and so travel and the stress There's of also travel the boredom are always of tour, because it's so repetitive. And uh, yeah. you, you, you get in and out of the bus and you don't even know where you are and you have to get up on stage and sing about heartbreak and then go back in the bus. And uh, it, I think a lot of it has to do with... Just, you also start doing really stupid pranks just to entertain each other and then things get out of hand. Like, uh, yeah. yeah, it's kind of the Amy Winehouse effect, right? Like not to make uh, to diminish Amy Winehouse because I think she's a brilliant artist, but everyone, you know, do you, that myth... Do you really think she's a brilliant artist? I don't know. I was never really a big Amy Winehouse. <laughs> She's not the world's greatest innovator, if you ask me. But they did make a movie about her, you know, and they they showed that from a very young age, she was coaxed into fame, right? And then was unable to escape it. You know, like, have you ever heard the expression, like, the worst thing that can happen to you is that you're successful? Yeah, or you're successful too young. I think that's the... Yeah, yeah. yeah. <sighs> anyway, uh, I mean, I, I've... The, the best thing I can I don't have advice and nor should I but generally my my personal track has been to you know leaning toward just like letting go a little bit and um, not not over managing you know my life uh, and not and managing my addictions through like making sure that I'm not always working on stuff a great art friend of mine was like I was like what do you do and she said Oh, I just do once a month uh, for travel. Like I restricted my travel schedule and no more than one exhibition a month. And then I'm more selective because saying no to things is also super powerful for your career, right? Like I'm reading this book called, um, well, it's about like managing your own performance. It's called like How to Be Great or something. It's actually not called that, but it's <laughs> it's uh, it's about, and it, it, like they, there's a study in it that I think is really interesting, um, which finds that like, you know, what would you assume the number one uh, uh, difference maker in terms of performance? It's called great at work is, but you, you, what would you assume if I just ask you, like, what's the one thing that drives performance uh, among most people, the highest performers in the world? Uh, the need to prove yourself? No, it's it's focus. And so... Um, yeah, yeah, but the, the motivator behind that... Well, the motivator behind focus would be... So, actually, this is what's really interesting. So, people who do a lot of things um, and kind of not very well, they're, of course, the lowest performers. They say yes to everything, right? They're in, like, the 15th percentile. Then there's people who say no to... Just do a pretty bad job, but say no to a lot of things, and they only do focus on one or two priorities. They actually, like, shoot up. They're, like, in the 50th percentile. In fact, 
they're equal to those that say yes to a lot of things and work really, really hard and like have an amazing work ethic. But the people who like outperform like by another 50 kind of percentile points, percentage points, uh, like people in the 90th percentile are these people who like have extreme focus and they obsess over detail. Um, and when I read that, I was like, oh, that sounds a lot like, you know, a brilliant artist, <laughs> actually, right? Like, very obsessed over one thing for their whole life, uh, so focused on one thing as well, that they continue to come back to it and refine it. Um, and that's where performance is. You know, this idea of doing everything, I mean, you know, kind of accomplishes nothing. Um, yeah. I, I just, I thought that was like, just so insightful. And this was based on like sort of an analysis of 5,000 high performers. Yeah. And, and but, well, my advice would be if you're a young artist and you're worried about what's expected of you, mm -hmm. then maybe look at the work that you find interesting and see, is that really expected of me? Because it, it might not be as, so if you think, um, oh, I have to be a very, The one advantage I see of, of casual uh, drugs and alcohol is that it makes it a lot easier to schmooze. <laughs> If you have social anxiety, yeah. Yeah, no, but everybody has social... Nobody's comfortable at an opening just talking to strangers. So um, there's a few... My mom. I think my mom is, for sure. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I... But, but at the same time, if you're not the person who's uh, into partying, maybe you just spend more time making work. So you, you just have to find what fits you. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I mean, the, I love the expression in this like business book, but it's like, you know, do less than obsess. <laughs> but, like, <laughs> just like chill, you know, like by chilling, you're actually performing at a higher level than someone who's stressed out and doing everything, which I just find like so when you think of which just think about it's that, you can almost like it's almost like a hammock for life, like lay back in that hammock, do a little less. Yeah, then, but like, it's funny, like I know f quite a few people who are really good at the hammock and they don't really make that much. Hey, that, yeah, that's just doing nothing. Yeah. <laughs> There's a difference. But if you choose one or two things to focus on, and I'm trying this right now actively, and I'm also trying to like do this with people who I manage, um, I find anyway that I'm more, A, I'm more joyful because I really, I've chosen what I want to do. I'm more excited about the work that I'm doing. And I'm really into the details. It's like watching a really great documentary, but it's your life. And you're like, you're finding all these cool things out. Um, and you're you're more self-aware, and you're just more yourself in that yeah. moment. Anyway, it, it, that's my it, that's my current hack. It would be really great if somebody um, <clears throat> did some empirical research and said, okay, you to succeed in art, to to be part of the mm -hmm. canon and really uh, break through in art history, you have to be insane. Uh, maybe it's not true. I, I don't know. That would be cool research, but we're too lazy for that. <laughs> We're yeah, I mean, I, I, I said artists are researchers, but uh, not on that scale. <laughs> <laughs> Take it easy. Should we do an ad? Yeah, yeah, we have an advertisement. Let's do it. Yeah. Okay, so I have to say, oh, yeah, I opened the ad. Okay, so, hey, Raphael, have you read anything interesting lately? Oh, what a good segue. Funny you should mention that. An artist just sent me a PDF of his new book the other day. Really? What's it called? The View from the Whale's Mouth. I don't know what it means exactly, but it's certainly a provocative title. Agreed. How is it so far? It's quite the experience. The book is composed entirely from screenshots, but it starts to feel like it has its own sort of narrative. Think of it as a strange novel and 400 digital paintings at the same time. 
400 pages? That sounds like a long book. Don't worry, Jeremy. It's mostly pictures. I promise. All right. Where can I go to read it? It's available for free download on the artist's websites. On the artist's website, just go to everettengel.com. There might be a print run eventually if there's enough interest, so let a friend know about it too. Sounds exciting. I can't wait to dive in. Okay. Thank you, Everett, <laughs> Thank for the you. ad. Yeah, it's great. I love it when people send in ads. And I think he was like, do you still do ads? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Anyway, so uh, where were we? We we were. But, are, is there anything left? Is there are there any good I, points left to make about addiction? No. Well, it, and maybe we're. Are you addicted to to art making? Like, could you stop? Here's a question. You know, as an artist, you you assume that it's a choice whether or not you make art, and we've kind of talked about this on the podcast before. But is if it's an addiction, maybe you don't choose. Like, I mean, maybe that's like a kind of a insensitive way of thinking about addiction. But it, is making art no? But an the, <clears throat> there's a difference between something that's uh, you have to do, but it's damaging you, and something mm-hmm. that you have to do, but it's it um, it's fine. So let's say I'm definitely addicted to listening to music. If if I couldn't listen to music for a few days, I would lose my mind. But it doesn't mean that that's uh, gonna hurt my life and shorten my lifespan and, and make relationships with other people difficult and things like that mm-hmm. okay but I mean I would suggest that you've you've talked about making art sometimes as a very painful process um, like it, you know that it actually doesn't always bring you great joy no but not doing it is even worse so. Oh, not doing it is even worse. That's a secret. <laughs> it does. It does sound like it's a little the bit least like someone. Option. It's like it's like it sounds like a a glass of whiskey at at like eleven p.m. or something. Like if I don't have this whiskey, I won't be able to sleep. It would be even worse than if well, I had this. Well, I, I remember telling my mom like, "Oh, I think I want to go to art school." She's like, "Really? Artists are always so unhappy." She wasn't worried about economic insecurity, but she just noticed from all her friends, it's like, oh man, all those artists are so unhappy. Mm-hmm. I mean, the I think the good point, the thing that I'm thinking about right now is this like, this idea of the artist who smokes a pack a day and drinks a bottle of bourbon and, you know, is just so torn up. It makes a lot of sense in an era where most people were factory workers, right? Because you... You go into the, you know, most people are these automaton robots, right? That are like, you know, working every single hour. And then there's this person that breaks out of that, right? And and they break all the rules, right? The rule breaker is the artist, right? They're the rebel. They're like the James Dean on a motorcycle. And, or maybe, you know, they're the Pipilati Reist who's like smashing in a car window, right? They're, they're, they're the people who challenge our assumptions and our expectations. And then, you know, Along, like, along, like, in, within the narrative of, of human history, work evolves to this place where, like, work is now, like, uh, you know, maybe, maybe you work at home, and, or actually, maybe you work inside of, like, a, a lounge environment, and, like, and a co-working space or something, and it's le- less, like, factory work, and, you know, maybe there's, like, work-life balance is, 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 is odd now, and people aren't really sure when they're working and when they aren't, and it's, like, intellectual labor, and it's no longer this like top-down infrastructure. It's like, in a lot of ways, more dangerous in that it's like everyone's an entrepreneur. And suddenly, like everyone actually supposed to be like an artist. They're all supposed to be rule breakers. And the point I'm trying to make is like, it might be that we now live in a society in which 
that myth of the artist is actually the myth of just every citizen that, mm. that you're all everyone is supposed to behave this way because work actually now requires it and so then you know what the artist is is kind of actually in question and it's almost it's almost maybe like you have to push it to even further extremes um and uh, and i'm just not sure like i'm just trying to figure yeah, out what's bothering I, me about I, this topic i, th- I think uh the world is is much more complex than we wanted to. So the, mm-hmm. all the I different models it. of artists exist at the same time. Yeah, yeah. There's that. I mean, there's still people ba- painting like Thomas Kincaid paintings or whatever. Yeah, and the, but um, there's also people who are still very deep into abstract painting, and then there's people who do confrontational performances, and then there's people who yeah. do hyper detailed photography, and then there's people who do uh, generative uh, animation, and it. it for example, in new media art, there will be a higher chance of finding someone who is addicted to work than uh, to drugs, I think. It's, it's just logical. Yeah, well, I, yeah, I mean, I'm in this realm where you're just constantly tweaking hardware and software, and uh, what kind of people do you think you'll find there? Yeah, I mean, that's, my, that's just my point overall, that, that now we live in a, in a world in which everyone is expected to kind of be that rule breaker, and addiction is, you know are part of that and that you know we were talking about it even like mental health is a part of it like everyone is supposed to have some kind it is, of this it, is, be comfortable with the this mental is a health very problem. interesting uh, contemplation if we go to a post-work society, society where everybody is an artist and that um, you don't have to be a <laughs> maniacal artist like everyone can be a Sunday painter oh like yeah a world with art without and no competition or it would be maybe hyper competitive who knows yeah right yeah yeah <laughs> I mean, and I mean, it would just be everyone. Well, maybe people would just want to be curators, though, or maybe that's how we would divide ourselves: <laughs> I, curators versus artists, or something. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the editorialization and power would exist even in a world where money didn't. Um, some people would be making up their mind about what was important. Yeah, I, I think we're both not experts on the topic. Yeah, I don't know. That's why I talked about my own experience, but you yeah. didn't really talk about yours. Okay, well, yeah, what can I say about my experience? All I say is that if you're a young artist and you're worried about what's expected of you, if you're gonna follow what's expected of you, you're gonna, and it's not you, then you're gonna be bad at it anyway. So yeah, but was there a point at which like you're at? Was there like a scene where you're like a young Raphael and you like walk into a bar in Amsterdam and your friends like, hey, dude. <laughs> Everyone drinks to make paintings. Why don't you take a drink? Too? No, but I <laughs> used like, to, I used to drink uh, in high school and then a bit in college and then a bit less and less every year because mm-hmm. I hated the hangover. And at some point I was like, oh, why am I even drinking? I don't even like it. So then, I just, mm. but I I never saw that as a, a creative engine or anything like that. Can, can I just say the one reason you know the biggest reason actually that I forgot to mention earlier was when you said I hated the hangover. I hated the hangover because I had a day job and then my studio day was my day off, usually a weekend day or some other day that I'd reserved in the week. And so if I drank on a Friday, it meant that I'd lose a whole day of making art on a Saturday. Yeah. And same thing would go for a Sunday. If I was out on Saturday drinking, then I mean, that meant I couldn't really be creative on Sunday. And I would just sound that so depressing um, when that's all I wanted yeah, to do. Yeah, uh, but I definitely felt that... Uh, as I started drinking less and less, I would go home earlier from parties. That was definitely a correlation. If you're mm-hmm. not drinking, you're like, 
hey, this is not a very interesting environment. Why don't I go home and get some sleep? And I, I do know that for some people, the, the late nights builds a lot of trust with the community. So mm -hmm. if you act like an idiot and everybody acts like an idiot and everybody's a witness of each other's uh, missteps, that creates a bond and that can work for a lot of people to get ahead. In a community. Yeah, I mean, in I mean, I know in the tech sector that was the thing because you had you know theoretically a lot of nerds and you know social anxiety, but actually it's become a huge issue around uh, creating inclusive environments to work in because there's so much pressure to drink. If you had a drinking problem, like you know, there was like it was it's really hard to yeah, work but in the tech it, yeah, at some point you, humans are, but not, are not perfect. Yeah. So um, if if, but, yeah. if humans are shy and for some. You can't control everything and make a perfect environment where everybody's listened to equally. And well, you can. I mean, you can try. On yeah. the drinking thing, you know, it's like you know, making sure that there are non-alcoholic options that are really exciting and interesting, like you know, uh, craft no, but that, root beer. That doesn't like get rid of the, beer. They, when I was living in Berlin. Um, I was sober, and then I, there was this bar called uh, I think it was called Times. Mm -hmm. uh, oh yeah, of course that Mexican uh, Dan. Didn't oh is it Mexicala? Yeah. Oh yes, right, 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 right. They started a bar as an art project, and everybody was yeah. drunk there all the time. Of yeah, course, I've and, been and, a few times. And I had this drink that I would order that they labeled magic water because they would make cocktails and they had strawberries and cucumber and all kinds of things, and they would just throw all the decorations of cocktails into a glass of sparkling water for me. That was my special drink there. <laughs> so I would go there and have fun talking to people, but. You know, it's like 2 a.m., 3 a.m. I think, okay, it's time to go home. And then the next day I would call friends and uh, be like, hey, do you want to have lunch? And they're like, why did you wake me up? And I, I call them at 1 p.m. And they're definitely still asleep. And then that I call them later and they're like, oh, why did you leave? It started getting really fun around 6, 7 a.m. <laughs> right, 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 right. And, um, <laughs> you know, that it's definitely, there's definitely something that humans... Uh, need to connect and be in dialogue with the community and it's not natural to become friends with everybody you see so that there's like the 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 partying and the escapism and the and the misbehaving has a function mm -hmm. i mean there were times like especially i think in the late 90s where ecstasy um and i mean obviously this still exists was like fueling these massive social events and and we talked about lsd in the 19, 1970s and things and it was there is like something nice that's not about addiction there, but it's actually about connecting with other people yeah. in a way. But you know, I it's about deconstructing social like, norms. I've, I've been to a few mm. parties where I tried some of the chemicals, and then you're at the party and you're like, "Wow, you're talking to strangers. You're such an incredible human being, and I feel this brilliant connection with the whole room, and everybody's so beautiful and lovely." And then the next day you have this hangover and you're like, what was I saying? That wasn't me. That was completely 100% the drugs talking. And I really don't care about those people. And that mm, would yeah, just, yeah. That, that would make the feeling of fakeness the next day was so awful to me that, uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, definitely we're probably at the age where we're over that, but probably some of our younger listeners. Oh, it's crazy when I, you're at those parties and there's actually 50, 60 year olds who are still into that lifestyle. But, yeah. Uh. Good for them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I really have nothing against it. If if you are an artist and you're like, I, I wanna, I don't wanna 
drive this car, this body until I'm 80, I want to crash and burn. And yeah, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But here's a question for you, which is like, do you dance? Sometimes, yeah. But like, do you do you feel like you're immediately able to dance? You can just go straight from like talking about um, art theory to no, dancing? No, if I, if I like the music and I like the people. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like I find it. But it, you, when you're with like, artists, it's more like being with coworkers than with friends. So it's weird sometimes. Than to oh, I love that point. That's a really good point. Which is that because when you're with artists socializing, there's a certain level of careerism going on. Well, you might um, not even like the people. You like their work, so it's like, oh, I want to talk about your work, but I don't, you know. But I've definitely been with artists where if I didn't, um, if I didn't go along with the party, then I was like. The outsider, and that that had an effect on whether or not I was, you know, perceived to be a part of the the club and a part of like, well, you know, a scene, right? Um, and so, of course, you like you come up with like, you know, drinks, drink water or whatever, like you said earlier. But like, it can definitely feel like there's social pressure um, within the art scene to to be a part of that, even though you're right, it's quite often a professional well, scenario that you're in. Here's an example of the social anxiety. Uh, I had an opening in the Amsterdam a long time ago in a, a non-commercial art space or art center, and they would always have a bar in the back, but I was using the whole space, so they couldn't have the bar in the back, they had to have it in the front. And mm-hmm. because the bar was at a small distance from the front door, they weren't allowed to sell alcohol. Mm. Um, and then the curator came up with this addiction. Oh, we'll have... Uh, we, the curator came up with this idea. He said, let's have a juice bar in the front. And it kind of was funny because I don't drink. <laughs> and then people... So they put on the invite, like, oh, uh, fresh fruit juices will be served for free. And it just everybody started talking to each other. We need to organize something. I'll, I'll bring a flask. You bring this. And just the thought of being at an opening without drinks was terrifying to people. Like, really? I don't... Uh, yeah, you're, you're, you really don't understand what an anomaly you are. Like, most people <laughs> don't go to art openings for fun and, and don't like the people there, and uh, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe It's maybe an so. obligation, and the alcohol kind of gets them through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I definitely know that it's it's part of open, you know, an, an opening without wine, because I know my gallerist is always really stingy with the wine, and everyone really complains um, that that's an, that's an issue. And when the wine runs out, everyone leaves, and you're like, what? I thought you were here for me. <laughs> It's like, no, just going to go where the wine goes. There is the, uh, We've talked about the Cyprian Gayard piece that's critical of that before, right? Where it's like a pyramid of beer. Is it critical? It was a, uh, I don't know. Maybe it's, you're right. Maybe it's not critical of it. It's just like celebratory. Well, um, it, but, it, I, I'm saying it's not judging it in that sense. It's not saying it's good or bad. It's just showing it. Right, just showing it, yeah. But I know his other work is like, attempts to be critical of other social social norms yeah um, yeah but uh, anyway um hopefully we haven't offended anyone <laughs> we know there are a lot of like uh this is a complicated issue because a lot of people suffer um uh with with different problems and, and it's certainly not a judgment of yeah of whether it's right or wrong in it and there are a lot of brilliant artists who do drugs and alcohol or, or who have mental health issues and who have vices they can't control. And, and, and there, there are those CEOs with health issues, too, uh, with mental yeah, health yeah, issues. Yeah, that's true. There's definitely what we a, have a been, few, uh, yeah. uh, what's the word, when you're obsessed with yourself, that mental issue. Uh, narcissistic. Like narcissists? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's definitely a few narcissistic CEOs. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, none of us, you know, yeah, so, so, I mean, if you, whether you're what, like Van Gogh or 
who's like the most straight edge uh we didn't even talk about straight edge punk music which is like explicitly sober (laughs) yeah like you know he was the inspiration for the straight edge movement oh really yeah tell tell us about that that's a good uh, well he was he was a rocker uh, a 70s rocker and a really good guitar player and uh, now he's mostly known as being an uh, idiot politician but um he never drank or did any drugs which was really strange at the time so Mm -hmm. uh, to live in the 70s hard rock world and do arena stadiums and selling them out and uh, being surrounded by everybody's on drugs and he's like no I don't so that inspired uh, Minor Threat and all this stuff you know what's cool though you're making a really good point which maybe is like I don't I always like to have the last good point but it's like at a certain you know at a certain point like not drinking or like whatever position you take is in relationship with the a norm if it's the opposite to the norm it appears rebellious and i know saying earlier that the artist is the rule breaker and so like kind of a rule breaking thing maybe that we that maybe we're a part of a group of people who break this rule have been has been to just reject this idea but i i think the world is is much more complex so there's not really a position that's dominant all right all right i'm not allowed to have any fun no no <laughs> okay well we do have a, a great uh field recording uh that would actually be in a place where whatever drink you did have um would be like having four drinks right is that the <laughs> the equation i can't remember when you're when you're flying don't you like doesn't alcohol like have four times the effect or something like that uh, i'm not sure Anyway, we have an, a field recording from an airplane bathroom. Yeah, uh, is sparkling water more sparkly up in the air or less? I don't think uh, the bubbles in alcohol are equivalent, but <laughs> <laughs> potentially. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, wanna, it's a different air read, pressure, uh, so maybe the sensation is different. Right. Do you want to... So I'll read this message. So yeah. we got another field recording here from David uh, Kielsgio. And he says, uh, bathrooms and airplanes are amazing, unintentional sound capsules. I'm not sure whether they're unintentional. We, we'd have to verify that. With hidden patterns and depth uh, sounds, I totally understand why people so take so long in them. Oh, that's a good, good point there. Mm-hmm. You do take long in them probably because they're enjoying the symphony. <laughs> so uh, I think thank it's you, David. Yeah, thank you. Um, so listen to an airplane bathroom if you haven't uh, enjoyed one in a while. <laughs> uh, and hopefully this doesn't uh, this doesn't bother you too yeah. much. Enjoy, quite enjoy your whiskey as you listen to this podcast. Yeah. Uh, thanks for listening and uh, stay safe. Bye.